0: All right. well good morning again and welcome to H2O. As Joe said, it's great to have you here, especially if you're newer, or checking out H2O for one of the first times. It's really great to have you here and have you kind of get an opportunity to to sit in on what we view as one of our family gatherings where we get a chance to come together and worship together and open up the Bible and just hear from God. That's really what this morning is all about. And if you've been with us the, the past four or five weeks, we have been working through this series that we're calling Collide. And so today is the last series, the last sermon in this series of Collide. And, and I don't know about you, but but as we started the school year, both on the campus side and the, the city side, Bowling Green kind of changes as we transition from August into everything that happens during the fall. We wanted to have that series of Collide to really help you get a picture of who Jesus is. You know, many of us have been in church for years, but it's so important to be reminded over and over again and just go back to the Gospels and look at the heart of who Jesus is. And others us we 're newer to to this whole church thing and so if you were here and you got a chance to experience that, hopefully you got introduced to the person of Jesus and how he deeply cares for you and how when our lives collide with him, things change in our life and that 's been kind of the big idea for this whole series is that when we collide with Jesus, things change in our life and so as we are wrapping up this series today, I want to look at a passage in John chapter three where Jesus has this collision with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And this collision that Jesus has with Nicodemus is actually a pretty profound section of scripture. It's a section of scripture that maybe if you haven't even read it before, you've probably heard some of the phrases that Jesus uses in this conversation with Nicodemus because Jesus says and uses this analogy to Nicodemus that, that we still use to this day in many different contexts, in many different varieties. In fact, it's become a phrase that we oftentimes use and I would maybe even say overuse sometimes so much so that, that I think we almost need to deconstruct what Jesus is, is saying here so that we can reconstruct the actual heart of what Jesus was talking about in this conversation with Nicodemus because at the beginning of John chapter 3 Jesus sits down with Nicodemus and we're going to see this and he, he uses this analogy to Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. He needs to be born again. Now that term "born again" is a term and a phrase that that we've used and has actually been kind of hijacked uh, in our culture, in our world sometimes because uh, it's become almost a political term that we use to describe people sometimes. If you pay attention to politics, you you understand that this is a term that we throw out a lot. How are the born again Christians going to vote on this particular issue? Who are the born again people are going to back? And, and there's a little bit of history behind that. Obviously, the the Initial phrase came from Jesus in this conversation with Nicodemus, but it got popularized in the 1960s. Uh, during that time, there was a president, some of you probably heard of him, his name is Richard Nixon. Uh, he wasn't our, our best president we ever had, he went through a little bit of a scandal, and, and one of the, the people that he had on his inner cabinet was a man by the name of Chuck Colson. Well, Chuck Colson was instrumental in, in the Watergate scandal that eventually would end up getting Richard Nixon. Uh, impeached and having to step down. But Chuck Colson had this amazing transition, this amazing collision with Jesus right before he got sent to prison. It's actually pretty powerful if you ever get a chance to read his story. And so Chuck Colson goes to prison, and and now instead of being a crook and and a thief, he's actually following Jesus. And, And so when he's in prison, he starts writing and doing ministry. And one of the books that he writes after he gets out of prison is called Born Again in the 1960s. And that phrase starts to catch on. Well, well, then later, it's not just a Republican word that's used because there's this guy by the name of, of, of Jimmy Carter who's running for president. And Jimmy Carter is, is in his campaign, and, and he's actually doing this interview with Playboy magazine, which is, again, bizarre that this is the phrase that, and how it came up. But they ask him the question, you know, how would you define your faith? How would you define your religion? And Jimmy Carter says, well, I'd describe myself as a born-again Christian. And so now, both Republicans and Democrats, are claiming this word that they're, they're a born-again Christian. And again, I tell you that only because I think that it's really interesting that it's this phrase and this term that gets thrown around a lot, oftentimes united with, with this political identity that different people have, but I don't think that that's ever the intent that Jesus had for it. I don't think that Jesus gave us this analogy so that we could try to figure out where we stand politically. Uh, Jesus meant something much, much, deeper and more significant you know, it's interesting. I was uh, I was traveling a couple years ago, and uh, I've shared about these type of experiences before because it, it's kind of I love being a pastor, but it's also weird being a pastor sometimes because people just treat you differently when you're a pastor. And so I was, I was on an airplane and uh, I was sitting next to this lady, and as we were flying, we start having this conversation and uh, we start talking, and and so we're talking about what she does and where she's from, and then inevitably the conversation turns to me, and she says, uh, "What do you do for a living?" And so I say, "I'm." a pastor. Now one of two things happens every time this conversation happens. Either one, people just start confessing all of their sins to me right away. You know, they just start telling me all their dirty laundry and, and you know, like just start unloading on me. Or they get really weirded out and the conversation just ends exactly right at that moment that it had just started. Those are usually the two reactions that we have. But as I was on this plane with this woman, she, she said, oh that's, that's cool that you're a pastor. She said, I'm a Christian too. But I want you to know, I'm not one of those born born-again Christians. I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. And and, and I I had an idea of what she meant when she said that word. See, I tell you all that because we have a lot of preconceived ideas around what this term means, but what really matters isn't our preconceived ideas. What really matters isn't what, you know, CNN or Fox News says a born-again Christian is. What matters is what Jesus says about being born-again, And I think as we open up the pages of the Bible, as we go to John chapter 3, as we conclude this series that we're calling Collide, there are some amazing, profound truths that Jesus says. In fact, what Jesus says is, if you are truly a Christian, if you really do follow me, then You must be born again. So there is no such thing as somebody who's a Christian and not born again. Everybody who's actually following Jesus is born again when we understand the depth of what that actually means. that's Our big idea today is this. When we follow Jesus, we receive new life. When we truly follow Jesus, when we have a collision with him, when we actually follow him, we receive new life. It's as if we were born again. And so let's open up to John chapter 3 together and let's try to unpack this phrase that has been confusing to our culture and to our world, but was given to us by Jesus. John chapter 3, you can pull up your Bibles or read along with me. It says this It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with them. Do you see what's happening here? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Not only is he a Pharisee, but he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. What that meant was he was a pretty significant Pharisee. And sometimes Pharisees get a bad rap in the church world, but Pharisees simply means somebody who was a religious man, who was probably a respectable man. He's somebody who sat and made decisions, so he probably had a lot of wisdom uh, within him. He, he, he was a righteous man. Not all Pharisees were bad people. Sometimes we mistake that. But here we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus, and, and, and it says that he was somebody who was on the ruling council. And it says he came to Jesus at night. You know, scholars kind of speculate, what what exactly is going on there? Why does the Bible highlight that he came at night? Some people think, well, maybe he was scared. You know, maybe he didn't want to be seen with Jesus because to be a Pharisee meant that you had kind of this position that you had to hold. And now he's talking to Jesus who's bursting on the scenes and maybe going to overthrow some of the positions that some of his friends may have held. Maybe he was a little bit scared, but other people think maybe he just wanted an actual focused conversation with Jesus. And it was so hard to get time with him as he was traveling throughout the day and teaching, and there were so many different interruptions. So maybe Nicodemus didn't come to him because he was scared. Maybe he did. We don't know exactly why. But either way, we know that he wanted to to talk with Jesus. He didn't want to be interrupted. He wanted to get directly to the source. And he says something that that I think is important to note. He says, I know who you are. I know what's going on because God obviously is with you. The things that you're doing, they're not normal. You know, walking on water, healing people, these things. God's doing something with you. Something's going on. So I have to find out. Tell me. Tell me about what it looks like to actually follow you. So that's the, the backdrop in verses 1 and 2. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He says, I know you're from God. And it's almost like he's about to ask him a question. And Jesus maybe uh, just starts talking, maybe even interrupts him. In verse 3, Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, Jesus was a truth teller, right? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Jesus, I know you're amazing. I know you're from God. How do I follow you? Jesus' first response is very truly, I'm not making this up, very truly, I tell you, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus, like, wait a minute. That's not the answer I was expecting. I thought you were going to say, you know, I had a certain list of rules I needed to follow. I thought, Nicodemus is confused right away in verse four. He says, How can someone be born? When they are old, Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, again, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, we got to stop right there and unpack that for just a minute. Because Nicodemus, like many of the people that that had these collisions with Jesus, is completely baffled by Jesus' answer to him. Hey, I want to follow you, Jesus. Okay, well, go be born again. I guess they didn't use analogies that often back then because most of the time when Jesus used an analogy, people thought he was talking literally. You know, and so Nicodemus is like, well, um, that's going to be awkward, you know, calling my mom. Hey, mom, uh, there's this guy. He's really religious. He's doing amazing miracles. He's I really want to follow him, but here's the downside. He says to follow you, I got to be born again. I'm sorry. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but we got to figure it out, Mom. You know, I mean, you can picture Nicodemus is like actually thinking Jesus is saying, "You got to be like physically born again." And so Jesus has to start unpacking. No, listen, relax. Nicodemus, I'm not saying like there's a, a physical reality that you have to do. I'm talking uh, in, in an analogy here. And so Jesus explains it more. He, he says that, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Now, now, some different people have different interpretations of what exactly that means. Uh, I, I don't claim to, to I know 100% for sure, but my take on what Jesus is saying here, since he's talking about physical birth and spiritual birth, is when he says born of water, he's talking about a, a physical birth, right? Your first birth that every single one of us has, you know? Uh, when a woman's about to go into labor, what do we say or what happens? We say her, her water breaks, right? And so Jesus says, You have to be born of water, but then you also have to be born of spirit. See, there's this second birth that must happen for each and every one of us. Jesus is using this analogy and this example to say, Listen, something has to happen as you collide with me. It's not enough to just be alive, it's not enough just to, to walk on this earth. You don't just follow me by being born physically. You have to have a second birth. You have to be born again. You have to have a spiritual encounter with me if you truly want to enter the kingdom of God. You see, in this answer, Jesus breaks down two really common misconceptions that people back then had and that people still to this day, we still sometimes struggle with and sometimes uh, we, we think that we get into heaven the wrong ways. We get into the kingdom of God the wrong ways. The first one is this. Jesus says, we're not born into the kingdom of God. We're not actually born into the the kingdom of God. As you look at the pages of Scripture, the Bible actually says the opposite. Not only is it that we're just not born into the kingdom of God, but we're actually born with a, a sin nature within us. Each and every one of us, if left on our own device without being born again, without that spiritual birth that we have, we move further and further away from God because we have sin within our hearts. We're born with a sin nature. So we're not born into the kingdom of God. We're actually born into the kingdom of darkness. And, and some of us say, oh, man, that seems like a, a hard, you know, theological truth to grasp. Well, those of us who are parents, we see that play out <laughs> within our kids, you know, and we love our kids, and they're so amazing. But it like, a couple days old, you can look at that beautiful little baby, and you can say, that thing is so beautiful and so precious, and also just a little bundle of sin, you know, <laughs> just remember, my, I know, it's like, how could you say that about a baby? But, but from the moment we're born, we have selfish tendencies. We have selfishness. Some people say, well, isn't everybody just generally good? Well, look at our world. Look at the pain and the brokenness and the hurt that exists and the pain that humans inflict on other people. That's not something that people that are, that are generally born good do. We're actually not born into the kingdom of God. We have to have a, a, a conversion experience, a, a new life that's given to us by the God of the universe. You know, it's a misconception that we're born. And, and some of us, you know, we, we've grown up in church. Maybe some of us are even here with our parents. And you know, I know for myself, that was my story. I, I, I grew up going to church. And so it was almost like I thought, like, oh, I'm, I'm born into the kingdom of God. I've been gone to church from the day that, that I'm born. I, I remember being you know, elected the, the president of my youth group my sophomore year of high school, which wasn't saying much. There was only a handful of kids in our youth group. you know. But I, I remember that and thinking, like these are all good things. I guess because I go to church and because I, I've read the Bible a little bit and I've heard some of the stories, that means that, that I'm part of the kingdom of God. And, and, and what Jesus is clearly saying here is nobody's born into the kingdom of God. You have to have an experience with him. See, that's the first misconception. The second one is this, that we don't work our way into the kingdom of God. We, we, we can't just be good enough. We can't just uh, do enough good spiritual religious duties. I mean, if anybody could work their way into the kingdom of God, if anybody could get into the kingdom of God for being a good person, it would be Nicodemus. Again, oftentimes Pharisees get a bad rap, but this guy was legitimate. I mean, this guy honestly wanted to follow God. This guy, he probably kept every commandment. He probably had much of the Old Testament memorized. He was somebody who who was seeking righteousness. If you looked at his life, he had to be wise. He had to be smart. He was powerful. He was respected. And Jesus looks at him and is like, no, no, that's not enough. See, God's perfect, right? If he truly is God, then he is perfect. And so even the most perfect of us, even the best of us, we can't work our way into perfection. It takes a second birth. It takes God revealing himself. It takes being born again to experience the power of the gospel and to be made perfect by the sacrifice that Jesus lays out for each one of us. See, Jesus says you're not born in the kingdom of God, and you can't work your way into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And that's why this is such a powerful phrase because it flips on our head what so oftentimes many of us have perceived to be the truth about what it means to be a Christian or follow God. It's not about how good we are or what family we were born into. It's about having an experience, an encounter, a moment with God where we recognize our sin and our brokenness and we say the only way for me to get to you, God, the only way for me to get to the kingdom of God is for you, Jesus, to change me and transform me. I want to jump back in to the text here. Uh, John 3, verse 7. Jesus says this. says, You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Academia's like, well, I was. It seemed, you know, out there. Okay. You shouldn't be surprised by my saying that you must be born again because the wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear it sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's gone. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit how can this be? asks Nicodemus. How can this be? Nicodemus is like, Man, my world has just been turned upside down. What I've always been told be a good person, work your way to God. You're saying that's wrong, Jesus? How can this be? And, and I think it causes us to ask this question what does it mean to be born again? How can it be? Let's, let's dig into the question that Nicodemus is asking here a little bit. How can it be that God is saying the only way to, to move towards him, to enter the kingdom of God, is to be born again? What does it even mean to be born again? born again. Well, I want to give us just three kind of quick pictures of what it looks like to be born again, because it's this, this term that's been hijacked, but it needs to be reclaimed. I want to give you three quick pictures of what the rest of the Bible says a Christian, somebody who is born again, actually lives and looks like. And so the first thing is this, to be born again means that we become a new creation. To be born again means that we become a new creation. You know, last week, man, if you weren't here last week with us, Pastor John Draghi, such a powerful Sunday, such a powerful sermon, and uh, spoke to me in so many different ways. And one of the things he talked about a lot is just memorizing Scripture and having it on our hearts. And I remember one of the first verses I memorized as a, as a, a Christian, as somebody who was born again, as a new believer. Even though I'd grown up in church, I didn't actually accept Christ until the end of my senior year of high school. And when I did, it, everything changed in my life. I remember reading this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. They're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So when you're born again, you actually become new. And here's the beauty of that. Oftentimes we equate like being a follower of Jesus with somebody who just kind of gets polished up. Somebody who like their sins are forgiven and they just get made into a better version of their old self. The Bible says, no, that's not true. You are completely new in Christ. You're not just a better version of your old self. You are a completely new person that's been washed and made new and has a fresh start and a fresh beginning. You're not just a a shined up version of your old self. You are new because of what Jesus has done for you when you experience uh, the idea of being born again. So to be born again means to be a new creation. The second thing is this. It means that we have new desires. When we're born again, when we actually put our faith and trust in Christ, our desires, our appetites, uh, the, the things that we long for, they begin to change. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter says this, and he uses another birth analogy. It's not an accident that these analogies keep coming up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We'll taste and see that the Lord is good, as we sang about this morning. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. You see, our, our desires begin to to change as we crave the things of God. When we're born again, uh, our desires start to change because God has changed us and made us new. You know, I have three kids. How can you... Uh, talk a, a sermon uh, about, you know, being born again without talking about your kids, and so uh, one of the things that I remember really distinctly, all, all three of our kids that were born, they weren't really big babies, they were like seven pounds or something like that, you know, when, when they were first born, but all three of our kids, from the moment they were born, they loved to eat, I mean, they, they, just devout, they just loved to eat. And we didn't have to train them. We didn't have to show them any videos. They just, we had chunky babies. I'm going to show you a picture of uh, two of my three kids. Look, uh, it's so cute. That's like four or five months old. They, they were so chunky. I have three kids, and I, I did something I shouldn't have done. I asked my kids if I could put their baby pictures up here for this sermon. And my youngest son, Isaac's like, no way. He's too close to it still, I guess. I don't know. You know, he's only seven. So he's like, that wasn't that long ago. I don't want my picture up. I I'm I'll be embarrassed but you know they they loved to eat they they craved it and and it was just natural for them to ingest and to eat. Uh, Allison, our daughter, um, she, she, she actually um, she was, loved to eat so much that we literally had to cut her off or else she would just projectile vomit. Like we couldn't figure out why she was vomiting all the time. The doctor's like, it's because she won't stop eating. Like you actually have to stop her from, from eating so much. Okay, their desire, they came out just ready to devour and eat. And, and, and as we think about that analogy that Peter uses here, you know, when our hearts change, the desires within us start to change as well. See, we recognize it that, that our appetite should be for God and for his word and for the things of righteousness. You know, I, one of the things I love about leading this church is I get inspired by so many of you. I get inspired by watching your lives. Even yesterday, I was here putting some last-minute touches on the message, and I walk in, and there's like 20 students that are just here hanging out. And I'm like, oh, what are you guys doing? like, oh, we just got done, you know, worshiping and reading the Bible for a couple hours, and we're just talking about it and spending time. And nobody told them to do that. They didn't have to do that. It wasn't a church program. Their desire was to do that because they had been changed by the gospel. When other people are are doing their own things and and in a time and a season of life where it's so easy just to drift into the what they were new. They are new. And so their desire was to spend time devouring God and his word. Man, isn't that amazing? You see, one of the misconceptions about Christianity is this, that that God is just going to make you do things you don't want to do. Sometimes people are afraid to become Christians because they're like, I don't know if God's going to make me do something I don't want to do. Maybe I'll have to go overseas or, or maybe I'll have to marry somebody I don't want to marry or whatever the case is. No, listen, God changes our desires. God changes our hearts when we, be, when we become born again. And that's so powerful to recognize and to sit in. Third is this. We begin to, to love like God. See, when we're born again, we don't only become new creations, we only only have new desires, but but we change the way that we live, and we change the way that we love. 1 John chapter 4 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from who? It comes from God. And so everyone who loves has been born. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and they know God. And what John is saying here, and John is a disciple that Jesus loved, and John, First John talks so much about love for God and love for people. He says, when, when you're born again, all of a sudden that a massive amount of love that God displays on you and, and making you a new creation as it indwells your heart and the Holy Spirit, because we're not just born of flesh, but when we're born again, we're born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And the love of God that he so deeply has for us starts to flow out of us to other people. And that's why we value being in a place like this. That's why we value our our groups and our friendships and the people that God has brought into our life because God pours love into us and it is just only natural for that love to start seeping out into the relationships around us. And it changes the way that we look at people And it changes the way that we care for people. And it changes the way that we look at people who are in need. And it changes the way that we care for people that hurt us. Because the love of God is within us. And so we see the deep forgiveness that God has given us as we become born again. And we start to become loving and forgiving people. And yeah, we may not be perfect at each and every one of these things. And there may be times where our desires still feel pretty fleshly. And there may be times where we feel like we're not loving quite enough, but, but what Paul tells us is that what we, we feed, it grows, and what we starve, it dies. And so when we feed the, the spirit that lives inside of us, we become more and more the new creation that God has made us to be. See, to be born again, it means these things. It means more than this, but this is the heart of what it means to be born again. not a political disposition. It's a complete change of heart that comes from accepting christ and experiencing him i want to close with this because as jesus is talking to nicodemus and he's explaining this new profound mind-blowing concept to him can't work your way to god you're not born into it you get to be born again he says this amazing line to Nicodemus because you had to picture Nicodemus going, I don't even know if I can do that. I'm not sure how it's even possible to be born again. And then even you can picture Nicodemus moving from just not the physical. Okay, Jesus settled that. Okay, he's not talking about physical. It's an analogy. But even the spiritual, how could I do that? How could I have a, an experience with God? How could I have a, a new heart? Jump down to John 3.16. It's probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, and it's Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in this conversation, explaining to him what it means to be born again. He says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That phrase that we write on posters and put up at football games and, and, and throw around, so that was spoken to Nicodemus. And Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, here's how you're born again. God so loved the world. God so loves you that he sent me. Jesus talking here. He sent me, his one and only son, so that you don't have to perish. You don't have to continue in the way of that sin nature that every single one of us has. But you get made new. You get new life when you believe. So that whoever believes. And and I don't know where you're at here this morning. You know, I I know many of us, we we come into a a space like this. and, And we all have different things going on in our lives. And we all have different backgrounds. And throughout this series, we've talked about so many different types of people. We, we've talked about, uh, you know, this, this woman in John 4 who, who had this pretty sinful life and this bad background. And we talked about a father who needed his daughter healed. And, and here we're seeing a picture of this very religious, very upright man in this story. And Jesus says the same thing to all of them. I don't care whether you're broken and down on your luck and been through everything that this world can throw at you. You need me. And I don't care if you think you're at the top of the world. And you're in a position of power, prestige, and everything's going great. Guess what? You need me as well. See, Jesus came for all of us. When he says that God so loved the world, not just talking about the physical things of this world, he's talking about us. So you could put your name in that line. For God so loved Brian. For God so loved, fill in the blank. For God so loved me. For God so loved the good people, for God so loved the bad people, for God so loved those who are happy and rejoicing, for God so loved those who are broken and in pain, for God loved those who are put together and those who are in shambles. God loves the world, each and every one of us, so much so that he sent his son, his one and only son. That's not enough to just be born. This verse has a so that, so that whoever believes in him Whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith and trust in him, whoever says, Jesus, I need to turn to you. I need to hand you my sin and my brokenness and the things I was born with and the things that I've chosen in my life. I need to hand them to you, over to you, so that you can renew me and give me new life, so that I can be born again for God so loved the world, so that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but get to enter the kingdom of God and be with him forever. Here's the question for all of us as we close up this series. Have you done that? Have you been born again? Have you turned from your sin and brokenness and said, I want to exchange that for your righteousness, Jesus, just as Nicodemus had to do and just as everybody else who collided with Jesus had to do? The question is, have you accepted the love that God has for you? And my hope and my prayer throughout this whole time together is that we would see the deep love that Jesus has, that we would feel it, that we would know that it's powerful, that we would know that it sets us free, and that we would know that it gives us new life, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, hope, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's the power of the gospel that comes from being made new, that comes from being born again. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band up. And even as we're praying, we're just going to close even today and do something a little bit different and just say if, if any of us want to just get prayer. Maybe some of us need to make that decision to actually be born again, to accept Christ for the first time. We're going to have some of our pastors and staff around the back, and they'd love to just talk with you and help you walk through that decision and process with you. Or maybe some of us just need to be reminded of those things, of what it actually means to be born again, that we are a new creation, that God can change our desires, that we can love like God. If you want prayer for that, we'd love to pray with you here today as we close. So let's pray together. God, we thank you and praise you for the power of your message and of your word. And God, as we think of your goodness, as we think of your love, we're reminded of the depths of it when we hear that verse, for God so loved us, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him, every single one of us, Lord, we have the opportunity to believe, to put our faith and trust in you. God, I pray that each and every person here would do that. or it's the best decision we can make because we get eternal life. Lord, for those of us who have received it, but are walking through something right now, Lord, would you give us grace and peace to be reminded that we are born again, that we have a new life. And God, would you help each and every one of us to love as only you can love. pray all these things in your name. Amen.